Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Well, it seems like only moments ago, but uh, believe it or not, it's been a week since we were last broadcasting from the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Hi there, I'm Deacon Jeff, joined by my co-host, Tom Dorian. Time flies, doesn't it, Deacon Jeff? (laughs) Absolutely. Especially when you're eating pie. People don't believe I actually even eat any pie here. I'm here to tell you, he (laughs) eats pie. All right, well, Tom, I don't know uh, uh, how we do it, but we have yet another fantastic topic today. I can't wait. Today we're going to focus on living a truly authentic life. Based on the principles of Christ, hard to do. Now I know a lot of people have just—they've uh, just looked at their radio and thought boring, and they're getting ready to turn <laughs> off. But this is going to be a challenging topic. Yes. So if you're in for a challenging topic today, you need to stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. That's exactly right. Um, in fact, Tom, you're probably going to ask, uh, "Whatever could you mean, Deacon Jeff? I thought that being a Christian is simple." <laughs> That's good. I just like you, don't I? I'm telling you. Well, yes, the concept is a simple one. Being Christian is simple. But nonetheless, it's probably the most challenging thing that you'll ever do. Yes. And to help us talk through all this is our old buddy, our old pal, Mr. Mark Underwood, who's come back to join us again. All right. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us here at the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Guys, when I'm invited to this corner booth, I don't say no. The banana nut bread, as well as the conversation, is stellar. Plus the waitresses fighting up front. It's just incredible. It is. Well, who is our waitress today, by the way? Lori. Lori won that little bout. Lori's the waitress today. She's the waitress for the day. That's right. So I want to start our discussion today about living that authentic life of Christ uh, with a little scripture reading from uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This, far and away, is probably the most relevant scripture passage, I think, that, that this world can hear Uh, at this time in our lives. And it says in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think after we hear that verse, I think the first thing we have to ask is, what does God want and what does the world want? We have to separate between those things, because it's talking about being conformed to the world. What do you suppose that means? Dick and Jeff, in my life, conformed to the world was simply not really paying attention to the Word of God. And I know it sounds kind of sad to say that, but uh, I was the kind of guy, you may remember, that simply got God from the head up. I had to pass that religion test on Friday, and I learned it from the, from the neck up. It never hit my heart until my life became such a shambles that I had to retrace my steps. I had to do something different. But did you get a sense that God wanted something different from you? Oh, I got I got that sense uh, many times over. My life wasn't working out. I could know my religion. I could I could know the answers to the quiz. But until I lived it, I wasn't going anywhere. I was going downhill. Well, this whole concept of being conformed to the world, that in and of itself is challenging. Because a lot of people, I think, they think they're doing the right thing. They think that they've got God on their side. They think they've read the scriptures. Yet they still continue to believe some of the things that the world would have us believe are the good and right things to do. You know, you can pretty much pick any political issue nowadays. You know, from the hotbed of abortion to immigration 
And you can look at all of those issues and you can find out that you may be on the wrong side from a perspective of understanding what Christ wants of those issues. Does that mean that you're conformed to the world, that you've changed your mind, as you were saying from the head up, to believe what the world believes? You know, I think I always knew that I should be good. I I don't think I went out every day and purposely planned to be evil. Being good was, was nice. It was the right thing to do. But in... In my, in my retracing of my steps and trying to live my Catholicism the way I think Jesus wants me to live it, I found that that, that that's a way of life. It, it's a lifestyle. Being good is it's nice as far as it goes, but being Catholic and trying to live my Catholicism, to learn my Catholicism, to make it a part of my life and my heart, much different. But to be able to discern the difference between what the world wants and what God wants, I mean, first you have to find that voice, right? You have to find that authentic voice of God. And for us today, the authentic voice of God, where we hear what God wants, that's the church. If you look at what the church has taught for the last 2,000 years in regards to things like abortion and contraception, the church has always been on a certain side. And that's, that's what God has presented to this world for our benefit. You know, the church has always sort of been alone in that in so many ways, especially in recent times. If you look at what's going on in the world today, You look at people who have decided that premarital sex is going to happen, so we just need to go ahead and start handing out the condoms. We know that there's going to be drug abusers, and so we need to go ahead and give them clean needles. You start thinking about all these different particular topics, and you realize that it's really easy to become conformed to what the world thinks is right and to sort of abandon what God has determined for us that's right. Well, Deacon Jeff, in my life, it's sad to say, but I think I was one of those kind of Catholics because basically I had uh, I had dumbed down my religion to the point that I would show up at Mass every Sunday. I knew that was the rules. I did. Now, what uh, I paid attention to, how much attention I paid, you know, I thought that if I, uh, if I write a check, if I shake hands with the priest on the way out and say, Father, nice sermon, uh, I was pretty well covered, and then if I went, even if you didn't even listen to it, <laughs> oh, I, I wasn't until later I learned we were supposed to listen. We were just supposed to be there. I thought, at least that's the way I lived it. Um, you know, confession was another one. If I simply go to confession once a year, well, I'm covered. Those are the rules, and it, it's sad to say it took me so long in my life to find out that if I have a relationship with Jesus, if I if I go beyond the bare minimum. If I try to find out why my Catholic religion is the way it is, if I actually read the bishop's letters, if I actually look at some of the things that Vatican II came out with, if, if I read some of the writings of the popes, it makes much more sense. But if I try to bare minimize it, I, I, it, was, it was very fruitless. It was very fruitless. Do you think that part of what is going on here is maybe that there's, there's some other influence in the world? You, you know, in, in, a, in an earlier Catholic life of mine, I would have said, uh, you know, talking about Satan is hokey. But no, right now, from what I've read, from what I've learned about my religion, it, it really is true. And it's, you have a choice. Do I want to simply ignore it because it's not really a part of my day-to-day life? Or do I want to make it a part of my day-to-day life? Do I want to know enough about my religion to live this life the way Jesus wants me to? So, yeah, I, I, take, I take talk of Satan very seriously. All right, well, here's a question for both of you. Can, you. can you be conformed and not even know it? Tom, I think the answer to that is absolutely. I think I was that guy that you're, that you're talking about. I wholeheartedly agree that you can be conformed to the world and not even know it. There are so many good people out there, people that really want the best. They mean well. They're very sincere in what they want, very passionate about, for instance, the pro-choice movement, the people that want to choose 
to uh, allow a woman the opportunity, you know, freely and legally to, to end a child's life, you know, they do mean well. But I think in a situation like this, they've been conformed to the world. They've used those values that the world has put out there for us. And I'll go ahead and say that I think that a lot of those values have been influenced by the evil one. They've been influenced by Satan. He is at work in this world. A lot of people don't talk about that. You don't always hear that preached from the pulpits anymore that, you know, that there is a devil. Yes, the Catholic Church teaches that there is a devil. And he's out there trying to pull people away from God. Dick and Jeff, I think you're exactly right. And that's almost, uh, it's a, there's a strong analogy between abortion today and, and making sure that a woman has her rights. There's a good to a certain extent in that, but the greater good is the life of the child. It's a lot like Jesus out in the desert in the second temptation. He's presented with something good, but following the will of the Father is so superior to that, it, it, it's like history is repeating itself. So the question then becomes, how do we keep ourselves from being conformed? I mean, Scripture tells us that we are supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so what does that mean exactly? I, I think at any point we get a restart. I think Jesus' death on the cross assures us of that. How do we get a restart? In my case, what does it mean to be Catholic? I thought I knew the answer. I look at the way I was living my Catholic religion then versus the way I'm living my Catholic religion now. There's a big difference. For me, it started with a little bit of education. How do you get that going? How do you, how do you find out more about your religion? Bible study classes are one. Finding people that know more about your religion. To see, to see people living it, to see the example, that, that to me is worth more than all the books, all the tapes, all the seminars, all the retreats I could go to. Finding Catholic guys, Catholic women, that enjoy their religion and that, that have better lives as a result. You've hit, That's you, huge. But you've hit on the key right there. And you just you said the words. You said living, living an authentic life. And that's exactly what I think we're called to do. In fact, you were talking about living a life that other people could see. And what, what does that entail? What does that mean? Well, that means what I like to call you becoming a public Christian. Now, that doesn't mean you're, that you're uh, not also at the same time a private Christian. It doesn't mean that you're just doing this as a prideful or showy thing. No, what this means is doing something for others to see so that that will in and of itself lead them or ask them to uh, to find out what it is about you and your faith. It's those little hints and innuendos that you will do, not for showy reasons, but to be, to be okay with the fact that you're Catholic, to live that. Dig and Jeff, I think you're exactly right. I, I think you can you can preach, you can be an evangelist. Some people have that gift. Uh, I I do not. Uh, that that is that's not my style. But what I can do, if I live my religion to the best the best I can, my goal I guess is to try to attract people to Catholicism. There's something about being being drawn to a religion where people enjoy themselves, they're living better lives. You can see the fruits. It's not just, uh, you know, in the old days, I thought it was a point-based system. All my good works, everything I did that was Catholic would add up to uh, a certain amount of points. I could trade those points in for a really nice house in heaven. That was sort of the way I was brought up. And heaven is still the goal, but, but living life on earth to the fullest. My relationship with Jesus, it's, it's huge. Wonderful. So we've still got much more to cover on this topic of evangelization and living the authentic Catholic life. But first, I just want to remind everyone about our website at www.thecatholiccafe.com. You can find a wealth of information, including MP3s of this and other shows. You can sign up with one-click podcasting and lots of other links to great Catholic resources on the web. And also, I personally would love to get an email from you. And to do that, 
just go to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So stay tuned. I promise you'll hear us again soon. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Gianna Beretta was born in Italy in 1922. Her parents were devout Catholics who taught her to love God and trust in Him alone. She was an excellent student and greatly advanced in her studies. While at school, she spent much of her spare time living out her faith by assisting the poor and the sick and while working with such groups as St. Vincent de Paul. She graduated medical school and became an accomplished physician. In 1955, Gianna married her true love, Pietro Mola, and started a loving Christian home. In the next four years, the Molas were blessed with three beautiful children. Gianna excelled at her God-given ability to balance her life as a wife, a mother, a physician, and as a living witness of Christ's love for all mankind. All was well with Gianna Mola until the fall of 1961. While joyously received, her fourth pregnancy was only in its second month when doctors discovered a cancerous tumor in her uterus. The tumor was growing rapidly and would soon take her life unless immediate action was taken. The doctors insisted on either a radical hysterectomy or an abortion. Gianna made a heroic choice, a choice her family and friends say she prepared for her entire life. Against the recommendations of doctors and enduring great pain, Gianna chose to forego treatment and allow this fragile little life to come to fruition. Even days before the baby's due date, Gianna, weary from the struggle, demanded, If you must choose between me and the child, do not hesitate. Choose the child. I insist upon it. Save the child. On the morning of April 21, 1962, Gianna Emanuela, a beautiful, healthy baby girl, was born. Just one week later, the 39-year-old Gianna Beretta Mola, a woman who literally gave her all for her child, died. For her life of devotion to her vocation as a wife and mother, for her love of those in need, and for her ultimate gift of herself for the sake of another, she was canonized a saint on May 16, 2004. In his homily on that occasion, John Paul II said of her simple yet heroic life, Through the example of Gianna Beretta Mola, may our age rediscover the pure, chaste, and fruitful beauty of conjugal love, lived as a response to the divine call. St. Gianna truly lived her faith. Her feast day is April 28th. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff here with Tom Dorian, of course. Mark Underwood is with us again. So let's pick up where we left off. We were just talking about becoming a public Christian. Um, you know, it's different for everyone. So what we have to figure out is what do we do to become public? I guess maybe we ought to do, though. Um, I do want to read from Scripture just briefly uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, where we're actually told by Scripture, by Jesus himself, that we need to do something about our Christianity. 
says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there we have it. So we have to let our light shine. And it's talking about works. We're supposed to let people see our good works. And I think that's what I'm talking about today so much. Not so much about, again, about a prideful showing and being very prayerful and very uh, reverent in public so that people look and say, oh, it's a holy man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for something that's going to bear fruit. And those fruits are more Christians, more people coming to Christ than ever before. Right. Trying to draw people to Christ. So how do you guys experience that in your lives? I mean, how do you show your Christianity? Well, Deacon Jeff, the first thing I do, I guess, when you talk about light, I've got to have a source of power for that light. In my case, it's, it's the study aspect. You, you know, what, what is it that makes me Catholic? Once I ascertain that, once I get it, I try to share that. Initially, things like the, uh, the Curcio group we've talked about, getting together with a group of guys, and then realizing that as a Catholic, I, I can enjoy my life, I can live my Catholic life to the full. Where do I take that? How do I do that? Well, what do you, where do you go beyond though, the, those comfort zones? I mean, do you not encounter people that are not Catholic or that are not Christian? And then every once in a while, I know you've told me a few times that, hey, I bumped into so-and-so and I had a conversation. How does that get there? How do they know that they should discuss this with you? I, it's, it's by my example, I think, more than anything else. Once you, once you really realize... That, that you have a uh, you have a goal you have a reason for for living that that involves Jesus Christ it involves being a Catholic you you tend to show that you don't want to put it under that bushel basket you were talking about and people people notice that you live a little bit differently people will ask you questions like um, you know you used to get really upset at that and uh, what's going on what's what's different about you so now? they see a change exactly you can't you, you've got to be authentic if, if you try to if you try to fake it if you try to give away something you don't have you're gonna be found out really quick how do you guys avoid being thought of as hypocritical the example I like to use is when you're uh, when your kids see you sneaking food into the movies Mm-hmm. And they ask you that question. And you say, oh, no, it's wrong to do. Well, okay, Dad, but you did it. You mm, know, And then you start to, well, now you're a hypocrite. If you continue to do it, yet tell your child that it's the wrong thing to do. Or you tell them it's wrong to steal, and they're watching you do your taxes and hear you discussing about not declaring certain things as income. Now they've realized that you're a liar. Mm-hmm. And so now everything that you've said, they take into question everything that you've ever told them. They're kids. They're sponges. They absorb everything. Mm -hmm. They don't miss a lick. Mm -hmm. So you avoid hypocrisy by rooting out in your life all the evil ways, all of the immorality. you got to weed yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to do. Mm -mm. And I think you had talked about uh, uh, confession not too long ago. You've got to have a true sense of penitence, right? There, there are a number of ways to look at confession. And in the old days, I looked at confession as something that simply uh, it was an obligation. It had to be done once a year because those were the rules, and typically either during Advent or Lent. In the old days, I would wait for the, the mass of priests to come to our parish. <laughs> the ones who could not even possibly know who you were. Oh, absolutely. I mean, why, why would you want to go to somebody that knew you? <laughs> yeah, that would that, <laughs> be horrible. And in addition to that, I would look for the guy with a foreign name. If, if, he, <laughs> if he sounded like he was from France or even Vietnam, that would be even better. 
you know, that was the guy I tried to find. And, um, you know, I've, I've alluded in the past, I, I used to have a, a drinking problem. And uh, there, were, there were just years in my life that were bad years. And there were times when I would, uh, I would not enjoy confession one bit. And I would try to race through the sins. I wanted to be complete. But I want, and I want to get the. I guess you, you say I want to get the points out of confession, but that was it. There was simply rules only, and I, I, you know, in retrospect, I got absolutely nothing out of that. You're going, you're going by the letter of the law as opposed to the spirit. One hundred percent. That yeah. was that was the old days. Well, Tom, to your to your point, that's exactly how one becomes. I'm not going to say that Mark was a hypocrite. What I will say is, though, you 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 set yourself up for hypocrisy by going through the motions of something and not really believing it. Mm-hmm. And so when someone sees that kind of uh, action, they don't believe it. No, and you know when we go to confession, we're supposed to say the act of contrition towards the end of confession, and at the at the very end of the act of contrition, there's this little line about to amend my life. Amen. I never paid attention to that part. I mean, I would recite the sins, but uh, you know, do I really want to get better? Do I really want to, or just want to simply cover the bases? Well, to to receive the graces of a sacramental confession, I mean, there has to be. You have to have a heart that is sorry for having committed those sins, and you also have to try not to commit those sins again. I mean, that's got to be – that's part of that conversion, right? Right. And I, w- I was sorry at the time, but as far as really trying to live a better life, I kind of knew down deep. And it, it, it was a very sorry way to treat confession. And as a sacrament, it's uh, – I mean, that in itself is a sin. What are things that you can do in public – that aren't going to look showy and they aren't going to look hypocritical and they're not going to look like you're touting yourself as this pious, religious, holy man. You know, what are the simple things that you can do that people look at that and go, all right, well, there's a Christian. You know, one thing I've seen you do very Be well. Be careful now. Be uh, careful. I will. Uh, is uh, making the sign of the cross in public. I've seen you do that with your family and, and also other folks. And, you know, for a lot of folks, that's difficult to do. You know, it's so easy to lift a Big Mac to your mouth. <laughs> But if you're going to try to do the sign of the cross before you uh, eat that Big Mac, it's like you've got 100-pound weights tied to your yeah. hands. Your hands do not want to go up there. And so you do the – we Catholics you know, will say, uh, you know, you do the, the Protestant thing and you, and you bow your head. Now, there's nothing wrong with bowing right. your head if that's right. your faith tradition. But understand, from a Catholic perspective, we were born and raised doing the sign of the cross before we do a prayer. Mm-hmm. And so now you're in public denying your Catholicism. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Right. So we need to make a conscious – it's a simple thing to do. It's a conscious effort. And not only, Tom, I appreciate you mentioning my family. Yes, we as a family always pray before meals. You know, but when you're by yourself, when you're in the fast food restaurant by yourself, ask yourself, why can you not do the sign of the cross? Or why can you not let people see you pray? Now, so that's the difficult – that's the challenge part of this. It was for me. I experienced that personally many years ago. I realized I didn't want to pray. And I was only doing it, you know, because I had to, like Mark was talking about, the sense of obligation. You know, it's a behavior. We learn good behaviors. We learn bad behaviors. Now, another little thing that you can do is a lot of people realize that, you know, we put up those Christmas lights and we enjoy the the festive holiday season, right? Christmas Day comes. Day after Christmas arrives... You can drive up and down the street, and you've got to you've got to weave your car around all of the uh, discarded <laughs> Christmas trees. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. People chuck them so fast, and they're ready to get on with you know the, their regular lives. Christmas, Jesus is here. Everything's cool. Put away the Christmas decorations. Well, Christmas season starts on Christmas Day, 
It doesn't end on Christmas Day. You know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? Mm-hmm. It starts Christmas. It doesn't end at Christmas. Right. And the 12 days lead us to the Feast of the Epiphany. It is that day when we celebrate that the three wise men, the three kings, made their way to Bethlehem to worship the king. Now, if we turn off all the lights, you know, imagine if God had removed the star over Bethlehem day after Christmas, after Jesus was born. Those guys would still be wandering. (laughs) Well, that gets back to conforming to uh, society, which is what we talked about earlier, as opposed to you know, doing what we probably should do. Suffice it to say that we as Catholics Mm -hmm. can do that extra little challenge of not taking our Christmas decorations down. You'll be the only one in your neighborhood, I almost guarantee. Or if you happen to be listening to this radio program, if somebody else does it, you'll be the only two in your neighborhood that leave your Christmas decorations on the outside up until... The Feast of the Epiphany, January 6th. As a mediocre Catholic that's trying to get warmed up again, I've got to admit that I never even thought about that until you mentioned it. It makes perfect sense. Again, a case where you have good, well-meaning people that have gotten sort of sucked into what the world believes. You know, we look at the holidays from the perspective of the the stores. When uh, when you go to the uh, department store and they put out the Halloween decorations, okay, and then the day after Halloween... Here comes all the Christmas stuff starts creeping in. And day after Christmas, you suddenly have all these sales, and they clear out everything. And now you're told to move on. And the wise men hadn't gotten there yet. (laughs) That's exactly why it's so important for us to understand that the things that we do, what we show other people, is the reality of what's in our heart. So if we show people Christ, they're going to see Christ, and they're going to be drawn to Christ. But if we show them ourselves... You know, you may have some fun times for a little short while, but you're not going to experience Christ in that, and you're going to ultimately be lost. Deacon Jeff, you're exactly right. And if you start your morning off with some prayer and then start off with a gospel reading, a little bit of meditation on that reading, what what does this mean to me? How is this affecting my life? And uh, I I try to go to sources that that are are the the pros in the the religion business. Um, You know, why why has this priest been a diocesan priest for 30 years? What does he know? Probably a whole lot more than me. Could I learn something from him? The answer is obviously yes. When I can do that, week after week, month after month, my mindset changes. Once that changes, my behavior comes along with it. What goes from your head goes to your heart, and that goes to your hands, and then you become literally an authentic Christian. That uh, that 12-inch head-to-heart highway, I seem to have a major blockade on mine for a number of, for a number of years. Now that it started... It, it, it's a tremendous way to live. I, I kind of kick myself for waiting so long. I'm just glad I'm here. Well, Mark and Tom, I've truly enjoyed talking to you guys today, and I hope that we'll get more of these opportunities just to sit and chat about Jesus like Mark was talking about. Tom, are you going to finish that banana nut bread? <laughs> I think I'll let you have it. You're, you're eyeing it pretty, pretty hard there. Mark, we hope that you'll come back and visit us again soon, will you? Deacon Jeff, I'd love to. Well, wonderful. So uh, let's uh, do as we always do, and we're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Each day with you is a blessed one, but with that joy also comes challenge. Father, you ask us to stand with you in a world that does not recognize you. Give us the strength and courage we need to let our light shine for all the world to see. We ask you to grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.